it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a great uh, Tuesday. Now we're back in action on this Wednesday. Uh, keep in mind, guy that not back in action, the President of the United States, goes back to Wilmington after signing his big piece of legislation that's going to destroy us all. Do you know this? Get this. The president has spent 16 weeks in the White House, 67 weeks elsewhere. Weekends, that is. Trump had 31 weekends at the White House, 51 elsewhere. And I thought Trump traveled a lot. This guy spends his whole life trying to get to the White House, then doesn't want to stay there. What is going on? Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This primary election is over, but now... The real work begins. Lincoln ultimately prevailed. He saved our union and he defined our obligation as Americans for all of history. I, unlike uh, unlike most Republicans, uh, conservatives don't hate Liz Cheney. I have no problem with Liz Cheney, but she is a little out of control, putting herself in Lincoln's category after losing by 30 points in a primarily primary. Palin and Murkowski survive while Liz is destroyed as a Trump-endorsed candidate to rack up a, uh, another win. Overall, Trump has 187 victories and 195 opportunities. Number two. I believe presumption of innocence for everybody, including Garland. I want to presume he did the right thing. But the affidavit is the essential crucial point. Yeah, and the affidavit we're going to find out about on Thursday. Fallout continues from the Mar-a-Lago raid two Mondays ago on all sides, too. And a hearing Thursday to debate the release of the affidavits, which will tell us exactly what they were looking for for nine hours and would reveal the FBI's true intentions. What's wrong with that? Number one. Every single Republican, every single one voted against tackling the climate crisis, against lowering our energy costs, against creating good paying jobs. Right. Uh, That's your interpretation of a bill that... The headline is as deceptive as its contents. Signed into law, the deceptively named Inflation Reduction Act emboldened Biden to call out Republicans for not backing it. That declaration will not be argued by the GOP. They don't like it, and they shouldn't. I hate it, and you should too. Unless, of course, you're John Kerry's relative or you're somebody involved in the green industry. The world is not ready, does not have the infrastructure for electric cars, is not ready to convert from natural gas to solar panels. We do not have windmills to power our cities and our streets. It just is not going to happen. We are not ready for it. But yet we're putting $369 billion in the middle of what I think is a recession with two negative, two quarters of negative growth. We're spending all this money on a pure agenda that the Democrats want to get done. You can't say it's for the people. It's not addressing an emergency. It's not building up our defense because of the rising threat of Russia, Iran, and China. It's not addressing inflation. And just about everybody agrees with that, including the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. But the bill is a climate bill. Listen, cut one. This new law also provides tax credits that's going to create tens of thousands of good-paying jobs, clean energy manufacturing jobs. Solar factories in the Midwest and the South, 
wind farms across the plains and off our shores, clean hydrogen projects, and more all across America, every part of America. This bill is the biggest step forward on climate ever. So why don't you name it the climate bill if you're so proud of it? Why don't you wait to sign it to talk about that? $369 billion, because you know right now this is not the time to talk climate. The people we're competing with aren't interested in climate. We're the oil and gas uh, response behemoths. We do it responsibly and effectively. And in a time in which our allies need it, we're building windmills. And our allies are now firing up coal plants. And they're going to start doing nuclear plants. That, to me, is what we should be doing. So what else is uh, in this bill? Well, part of this thing I did not know is $60 billion for a climate enforcement team. Really? Climate enforcement. So you're going to go around fining small businesses for not having solar panels on their roof? Are you going to go see the exhaust, measure the exhaust in some chimneys, in some pizza kitchens? I don't know. Are you going to walk around to different people and find out if they are at, at their home abusing it? Is that what this climate team is going to be doing? A $60 billion for environmental justice, 15% minimum corporate, uh, corporate tax on everybody. It says it lowers health care costs. Okay. Everybody would like lower health care costs. But it's got to stay in the free market principle because if you just put a cap on cost, someone's got to pay or they're going to stop making the medicine. Don't they understand that? And, of course, we've been over this from day one. $87 billion and 85,000 new IRS agents. $87 billion. What are you going to do with that? And don't tell me you're going to do it just to go after the rich. There's only 700 billionaires in this country. Here's Kevin Brady, who wrote the last tax reform as chairman of Ways and Means. Cut eight. It really discourages uh, companies that build in America, manufacture in America, gets hit, hit with one of the biggest tax hikes. Small businesses who are already facing huge inflation and a worker shortage gets hammered with $50 billion as well. And, of course, the, the Obamacare subsidies in this, the extension, is so lavish that at the University of Chicago estimates about a half a million Americans will see better, more affordable health care jobless mm. than reconnecting to work. So on the issue of prosperity and opportunity, we need workers. We need them reconnected. This bill does the opposite. What are you doing about the labor bill? I mean, what are you doing about the labor shortage in our country? Anything? Are you trying to inspire people to get off their butt and get a job? 74% of this country is working under 65. Now, I'm not talking about re- retirees. You've got to get a job. You, people got to work. And that's the inspiration's got to come up from up, up top. You know, part of this new Green Deal was guaranteed income. They're trying to diminish the work ethic in our country. A lot of people think that uh, part of capitalism is inhumane. Not me. It actually fuels our country and our innovation. Uh, everything from medical uh, to uh, energy. So what this doesn't do is touch the deficit. Grover Norquist on Larry Kudlow. Cut 10. Biden (laughs) and the Democrats call this the inflation reduction legislation, which means they've now confessed that they actually did create this inflation, and it's so bad you need a massive bill. The downside of their confession that they... We do actually have inflation. It's not transitory. It's not Putin. It's not over by last December. Um, and it's here to with us. And we need to do something about it is that their solution is more of the same. Higher taxes, more spending. Yeah. 
All right, I want to move on. I want to talk about what happened with the FBI raid from two weeks ago. So the FBI admitted Nora O'Donnell was wrong when she came out and announced yesterday that the FBI did not take the president's passport, said he made that up. Well, it turns out they returned him. They didn't make it up. They took him. Why? You had a team there to decide what the sanitary team to decide what should be taken, what shouldn't be. After nine hours, you still took absolutely everything. You basically ransacked the place, including going through the former first lady's closets. It's a joke. Now we have a little bit more information about what exactly uh, took place leading up to this. Evan Corcoran, a lawyer with the group, suggested that Trump resolve the matter with the Justice Department. Why? Because the Archives Division found out the president took some boxes they thought belonged to them. So the president immediately returned 15 boxes. Well, the justice, uh, they, the just, so they got 15 boxes back right away. So when they started inquiring more about what they had, they went to the White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, and this guy named Patrick Philbin, the deputy. They questioned them about boxes of classified information that were kept at the Florida resort. He did not. Uh, so he did return the 15 boxes. They were debating to go back and forth about what they should return. So Everett Corcoran is one of the attorneys. Uh, and another one is Christine Bob, also there, uh, when they finally visited in June. And evidently, according to a report in the New York Times, an anonymous report, they were given a sheet to sign that all classified information was taken out in June. In May, they asked for it back. In June, they had the meeting. They go to Mar-a-Lago. The president drops by, says, you guys are doing a great job, and that's it. The New York Times report that Philbin was interviewed in the spring, according to two people familiar with the situation. And then in this thing, two people familiar, sounds like the Russia investigation, right? So the two people familiar, they have a little excerpt, a little blurb in the New York Times. How we decide if these sources are for real? It, I, you have a believability problem. As investigators reached out to members of the Trump circle to find out about the 15 boxes of material, some of it marked as classified made its way to Mar-a-Lago. People wanted to know how it got there. It was unclear when Cipollone was interviewed. Cipollone and Philbin were two of uh, Trump's reps uh, to deal with the National Archives. They were named to the position shortly before the president's term ended in January 2021. Another was Mark Meadows. At some point, the archives officials realized they did not have Trump documents, and that's when they started looking into it. To me... This should be a non-issue. You subpoena, you enforce the subpoena. It just seems to be the logical way to do it. And then somebody writes a column how Trump never should have taken this stuff to begin with and compared it to Obama and others. That would have been it. Alan Dershowitz, Cut 11. We need to know why, in light of what the attorney general said, that the general principles of the Justice Department are to use less restrictive, less intrusive methods than searches— and less necessary. Why was it necessary? Why eight months later? Why after giving subpoenas? Why even wait three days over the weekend after you've gotten the search warrant? These are the questions that the affidavit may very well answer. Look, I believe presumption of innocence for everybody, including Garland. I want to presume he did the right thing. But the affidavit is the essential crucial point. So the affidavit's going to expressly talk about what they had going in, what they have going out. So with the reason why Merrick Garland does not want it released, and they're going to have a hearing on Thursday, he says it will show their approach on the investigation, the criminal investigation. So they're investigating the president criminally, really, over documents taken that sting in a vault or a basement at Mar-a-Lago? You're going to break all precedent for that? And it was such an emergency you had to send the FBI in because you had a source, right? Okay. 
Such an emergency. Well, you get it on a Friday, this, the warrant. You hold on to it till Monday. Why? If it's such an emergency, then we find out that Garland thought about doing this for weeks before he finally pulled the trigger. What is the emergency if you can think about it for weeks? I'll answer it for you. There is none. Here's what Tucker said last night, cut 14. By all accounts, Attorney General Mar- Merrick Garland was shocked to hear criticism of the raid on Mar-a-Lago last week. It turns out that Garland lives in such a tiny, airless world of left-wing activists and sycophants that it had never occurred to him that anyone might object to sicking the FBI on Joe Biden's political opponents. When woke Twitter and the New York Times are your only sources of news, police state politics seems perfectly normal. Trump is bad. Find a reason to arrest him. one 408 Look, to me, don't take the documents. I get it. But Trump, you know the way he profiles. He was not sitting there pointing out all these file boxes for his minions to take and put into Air Force, to Marine One. Not in a million years. Maybe there was some he wanted to keep. All right, go ahead. You can debate that. That could be Trump. Uh, you know, he likes to tear things up, hold on to things. Like he wanted to keep Kim Jong-un's letter. Is that a criminal? Is, is, that, re- is that criminal? No. He was proud of it. He wanted to keep Barack Obama's letter. Is that criminal? He shouldn't have taken it, okay, but he's proud of it. That ends up, the original ends up in libraries all the time. Gerald Ford's library, I was there. A lot of these uh, documents are original. They want to be organized. I understand from the archives' perspective. Out of all the controversies with Trump on January 6th and everything else, this should not be a big deal. Instead, CNN, MSNBC are able to talk about this and not a horrible one-year mark since we left Afghanistan and embarrassed this country in a way I didn't think was possible. Not talk about 8.5% inflation and not talk about the president not running for re-election and looking old beyond his years, the ineffective vaccine, the way we're not attaching the variants, the inconsistency on the new CDC guidelines, all this stuff. We don't talk about that because you have a chance to talk about Trump. Everybody has a chance to talk about Trump, and they love it. one 408 Or you can write me at BrianKillMe.com. And I'll try to, if, especially if you're at work or at school, you know you can't really pick up the phone. Don't move. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. With regard to the escalation by China, we do think it was an overreaction to Speaker Pelosi's trip. Members of the House and Senate have visited Taiwan almost every single year in the past decade. Uh, And so we think this reaction uh, to her trip is uncalled for. We're continuing to message that to the Chinese through all channels uh, and trying to see if we can have some de-escalation here. It is our hope. Uh, to have a uh, face-to-face meeting between President Biden and President Xi uh, later this year. I have nothing specific to announce about that uh, right now in terms of a date or a place. But we do think it'd be useful uh, for these two leaders to meet face-to-face. It's something, we've been pers- it's something we have been pursuing with the Chinese government. We're going to continue to pursue. Nothing ever changes. They have all this meeting. They had their, 
Pacific uh, Pacific media out in the West Coast. They had their meeting with Central and South American countries. Many boycotted. He got a total pass on that. It was an embarrassment. Then he has a meeting with Mexico. Nothing happens. They never pressure Mexico to put people on their southern border. So we don't have over 2 million coming a year from our southern border. Nothing changed with Vladimir Putin. He invaded anyway. Nothing happened with Saudi Arabia. We never got any increased oil. He's had a bunch of meetings, Zoom calls with President Xi. The guy's only got more belligerent. Let's face it. One-on-one, it's just the opposite effect of Trump. Policies, Trump was unorthodox. It made people very upset, sometimes justifiably. But one-on-one, he was extremely strong and somewhat intimidating. Marty, listen, WDBO in Orlando. Marty. Hey, Brian. Hey, what's on your mind, Marty? Hey, if climate change is such an existential threat, then why did President Biden have to fly from South Carolina up to Andrews to helicopter over to the White House to sign a climate bill to helicopter back and then fly back to his vacation. I mean, if these people want us to have some, you know, believe them, then they need to start walking the walk. Right now they have no credibility because they don't live the way they want us to. Uh, you know, the thing is, Marty, we cannot let them get a pass on this. Now all these pressure on the celebrities. Get off your private jet while condemning us for not having one. You know, get, you know you're sitting there riding around with your combustion engine SUVs, overstaffed security out the wazoo, and instead, you don't have an electric SUV? Why not? Or a hybrid? Why not? At least you could set an example, and then people could say, well, it's so expensive, we can't afford it. I can't even get to it's such an ex- it's too expensive. Because they're not even trying to live by what they're demanding we do. And you know who's worse? Bill Gates and John Kerry. They sit in the backdrop, both multimillionaires. John Kerry inherited most of his money. And they tell us as they go from their yacht to their private jet how we're polluting the world and we got to change. We should not take this. This is not proven. I think we should feel strong enough to step up. And if you talk to anybody in the energy industry, they feel more pressure from within to do things responsibly, environmentally as, as responsible as possible. So they don't need these regulations. But what's happening is... They are forcing the divestiture for people uh, in those uh, in these energy companies, number one. And number two, they're discouraging any young man or woman for getting into the energy, oil, and gas business. So they're trying to cut it from within. They're trying to infiltrate these boards in these major companies with these environmental green maniacs and destroy Exxon and Shell from within. And we got to push back on it because it's going to be like to fund the police. Two years ago, everyone's to fund the police. The cops are bad. Okay, have at it, Seattle. Have at it, New York. Go for it. Go for it, Chicago. You're on your own, Orlando. And guess what? Now everybody wants more cops to pay them more, and you can't get them because they quit. Same thing is going to happen with energy. You're going to say goodbye oil and gas. They're going to leave the industry, and you're going to realize, wait a second, we need it. To make our jeans, to lubricate our keyboards, and to run our cars, and to continue our space program. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. His fortune was finally falling. The big lie was finally losing momentum. DeSantis was beating him in the polls. You know who hates this more than anybody? DeSantis. DeSantis, yeah. DeSantis, I had this in the bag, and now I got to run against President Martyr. And this is saving Trump politically. What do you think? That's Bill Maher. I mean, he has not been wrong much over the last year. Rich Lowry joins us now, editor of the Nash Review, author of The Case for Nationalism. Uh, Rich, I read your columns. 
And you just can't believe, I mean, Merrick Garland and the FBI are really out of the line here. And the thing that you find most surprising, which Tucker brought up last night, is they didn't understand really what they're getting into when they did this with the facts as we know them today. Yeah, it's it's hard to believe it's ever going to look proportionate and wise, you know, but I, I don't think we'll ever know, no, until like we, we see every single document, right? <laughs> you just can't trust someone's description. Well, it's related to uh, the nuclear program. What does that mean? Is it a nuclear firing code or is it a distant cousin uh, of the nuclear program? So it's going to be hard to know, but th- this certainly set half the country alight. It uh, has, has definitely helped Donald Trump. I wouldn't uh, agree with Bill Maher than that DeSantis had it in the bag prior to this, but there was some Trump slippage, and th- this this has uh, boosted him, put him front and center. And I just I, f- I have a sick feeling in my stomach about what Garland may be considering doing in terms of an indictment, which will uh, inflame the country further. Will probably be an adventurous indictment and a legal stretch, and um, it, it just it, it it's going to be a tragic mistake, I believe, to go down that path, and I think that's the path he's on. And here's a couple of things. First off, we found out yesterday that Merrick Garland thought about this for weeks before he did it. Uh, excuse me? I thought it was an emergency. I thought you couldn't mm-hmm. enforce a subpoena. I thought you couldn't go visit Mar-a-Lago again. You had an informer that said you had to move right away. Then we heard nuclear codes, and that story kind of went away. Then we had to move right away. But wait, you had the warrant on Friday. Wait till Monday. What kind of emergency is that? Well, we didn't mm-hmm. put windbreakers on. It was not a rate. Well, excuse me. You went in there. The guys on the outside had guns. You stayed there for nine hours. So they're all over the map on just the facts and as we know them. Yeah. So you would feel extreme urgency, you would think, if, again, he has like the blueprint to uh, a hypersonic missile in his sock drawer and the people coming in and out of his closet – and or, you know, he's planning to sell it. He's been having conversations about how he's going to sell these plants to some foreign power, you know, something like that. Th- then you, like, go, like, right away. But obviously it was, it was something much short of those kind of science, science fiction scenarios. They ask him to put a lock on the door. They put a lock on the door. They ask to, you know, to see the, the video footage. They see the video footage. And now maybe they're concerned that, that uh, a box has been taken in or out. But it's just hard to see, even if the negotiations were difficult, even if they thought, oh, maybe Maybe they're not being fully forthcoming. It's just difficult for me to see how you get to this to this point prudently, just as a matter of prudence. So a couple of things. Then you always think, okay, is it their political advantage? Well, remember what happened in the spring. Merrick Garland, according to reports, was frustrating the president because he thought the pre- the former president should have been indicted already. I don't know for what. Maybe he was thinking January sixth. So he thinks about it for weeks. They have this series of uh, interventions when it comes to the National Archives, and you'd finally decide to raid the place last Monday. So since you raided the place, everything seems to have caught them by surprise. Plus, the people that were asked to raid the place are back on the hot seat, the FBI. Why wouldn't Christopher Ray say, listen, uh, Mr. Attorney General, you can't put my guys back in there again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that one of the key tells that this was a mistake, or at least they were surprised by it, is all the chatter, everything we're getting from DOJ after the initial raid is Merrick Garland. He's a by-the-books guy. He's uh, he's highly professional. He's aware of the James Comey example when Comey went out and felt he had to defend his decision not to indict Hillary Clinton and broke broke protocol and the ground rules and got rebuked by it, and everyone was angry. He's not going to do that. And then like 48 hours later, he's, he's at a 
press conference saying the warrant should be released and double dog daring Donald Trump to object to the warrant being released, released you know, playing this high stakes PR game. So that just shows how burned he was by the reaction to this and did not fully account for it. And that's that's not uh, that's not very comforting. I will say this. I talked to the high reaches of the Trump camp when this happened. I was actually off that day. And and I went and I've seen them before in the eye of the storm. I've seen them as candidates. I've seen them as presidents. I've talked to everyone and they were just befuddled, angry and astounded and felt like this. Okay, buddy, uh, you just over overreached. You're over your skis on this. There's nothing there. And I've seen and I knew we now we all know there was nothing there with Russia and they are even more confident about this. And when they yeah. said, okay, release the, go ahead, release the warrant. And now they say release the affidavit. And now mm-hmm. Merrick Garland says it would, it would uh, corrupt the, in- the criminal investigation. Really? Criminal investigation? You invest- you're investing him criminally for taking yeah. boxes that you were talked to him three times about? Yeah. So I'm, I'm hearing the same thing, that, that they believe it's basically memento-type material. Now, you know, could they have been sloppy and sure. taken other stuff? Yes. Absolutely. Could, could, could the definition of a memento be in contention? You know, can Trump consider uh, a transcript of a call with Macron as a memento? Because, like, look, look I, I stuck it to this, this fraud in the SSSOB, whereas they, you know, the government doesn't? Yes. But, but the Trump people seem fairly confident that it's memento-type stuff. If we all knew every single item what it was, we would not be, you know, outraged and shocked by it to the extent that we would consider this this raid justified but we'll never know till we till we see the stuff and 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 I do think eventually there's going to have to be some really uh detailed accounting of every single item they took so here's his attorney Alina Haba uh talking about the chances of this affidavit being released by the judge who seems to be partisan and knows that Merrick Garland doesn't want to release he he is going to decide he can have a hearing for both sides. So this is what the attorney said. Cut 12. Don't forget, Judge Reinhardt is the same magistrate judge that recused himself from my Hillary case about a month ago. Um, he is definitely not going to be a friendly judge necessarily. And um, there's I would say it was highly unlikely, as we can see, the DOJ is already saying that they do not want us to see what was in the affidavit. Usually that's to protect witnesses um, and other things that have been cooperating with the justice system. So while I would love to see it and understand why you would ask for a raid with a cooperating president, do I believe that this judge is going to reveal it? No, I do not. So then we'll be sitting here with leaks on on unnamed sources, according to the New York Times today, said he had nuclear secrets. Unnamed sources said he had the cell phone number for Vladimir Putin on the outside of a manila folder. So that's this is going to be the the Russian investigation. And, you know, as I'm watching last night, I was traveling. I looked up at the screen and all three news stations were talking Trump. They're not talking about this horrendous new Green Deal that just got passed, signed. They're not talking about one year since the Afghanistan withdrawal. They're not talking about 8.5% inflation. They're not talking about even as much the midterms with the fall of Liz Cheney. They're talking about Trump. And you know what? The ratings, even though they're dismal for CNN, they are ticking up talking about Trump. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In in that sense, obviously, everyone in the media – 
missed Trump. And if, if you believe the Democrats want to run against Trump in the, in the midterms, this helps them. But I think probably it, the ultimate motive here is they're fired by kind of a misplaced sense of righteousness. You know, they think Trump got away with, with uh, all, all this stuff when he was president, and they're going to nail him to the wall, and they're, they're going to they're go and, and indict him. And I think that's what – I think Garland is, is buckling to the pressure, and it, just that alone will make this such an ex, extra, extraordinarily imprudent act to indict Trump. That we've, we've all seen the pressure. We've, we've all know what the January 6th committee was after. We've all heard the, the statements from the Democrats. We've all read the op-eds, all meant to um, bend Merrick Garland to their will and have him go and indict Trump for something. And it doesn't really matter what it is. It just has to be something. And that's just not the way our legal system is supposed to work. Rich, you know what it matters to? Um, it matters to his supporters. It matters to Republicans in general outside the extreme anti-Trumpers. You know, I don't look at like Bill Cassidy, for example, as anti-Trump. He voted to impeach him, but he's not necessarily anti-Trump. I mean, you could see this, you know, you know what? I'm off the sideline. I, I got to go back to this. This is an overreach. They're trying to destroy mm-hmm. a would-be political opponent. So you're going to galvanize people and divide people. It's terrible for the country. What role should that be in seeking justice? Should you worry about the reverberations for a country? Or if you are truly looking for justice, should you just be looking straight ahead with blinders on? Well, I think that the standard should be is if, if we're going to do this for the first time in our, our history and indict a former president, and it, you know we're we're going down a um, just we're opening a, a whole new door, uh, and we don't know what's going to be in that room, but likely retaliation will be in that room. You know, if Trump's indicted and Republicans win in twenty four. You better bet Joe Biden's going to be indicted for something related to Hunter Biden. But but if there's a no kidding crime that any reasonable person can look at the law and say, okay, that's a crime. You know, the proverbial shooting someone on Fifth Avenue, right? <laughs> He's not above the law. He should be indicted if he does that. But if it's complex, if it's novel, if it's ambiguous, if it's using some other statute clearly intended for something else, you know, for fraud statute that is if you're defrauding the government, you know, on a Medicare scheme and you're trying to get Trump on that because he, you know, had had electors ready to go if 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 uh he he succeeded in any of these legal challenges, that's not going to work. That and that's just the the uh one the, the legal theory isn't there. The legal merits aren't there and two that just the political effects, the effects on the country will will uh, argue against it as well. But I just fear he's Garland's now going to plow through all those sort of considerations. So just so you know, with the Trump pick candidates, he, he got involved in 197 races, 182 of his people won. He had 15 losses, 92% effective, but his biggest win is against his new nemesis, Liz Cheney, who used the same producer from the January 6th series, no joke, ABC producer, to produce her concession speech. She lost by about 30 points in Wyoming, an impossibility a year and a half ago or even a year ago, you would think. So here's uh, Liz Cheney on this picturesque background in Jackson, Wyoming, cut 18. This primary election is over, but now the real work begins. The great and original champion of our party, Abraham Lincoln, was defeated in elections for the Senate and the House before he won the most important election of all. Lincoln ultimately prevailed. He saved our union. And he defined our obligation as Americans for all of history. I mean, it's it's hard not to think that she thinks she's on Lincoln's path. 
Yeah, it's a little much, isn't it? Look, I I, I admire people. They they put their principles and beliefs above winning an, an election, and she she clearly she she is passionately sincere about this. But the comparison to Abraham Lincoln just shows a certain grandiosity that that's not very flattering. And if she runs in 2024 as a pure practical political matter, she's going to help Donald Trump, right? If if uh, you get anyone running against Trump, um, that person's going to need every single non-Trump voter in in the primary to to possibly topple him, and she would be siphoning votes away. So, um, you know, she she can she she should get a TV contract. She should give speeches, but if she has a, a vision that, she, like Lincoln, you know, she's she's somehow making it to the White House, that's insane. Well, she did say to, to the Today Show that she looks like she's looking at a run, but she doesn't have a constituency. The one thing I would say, um, I do not want to vilify Dick Cheney and George Bush. You could support uh, Trump if you choose and also support Bush and Cheney. You don't have to make a decision. I would say Biden and Trump, you have to make a decision. Biden and Bush, you got to make a decision. But you could support Dick Cheney, who's a staunch conservative, short George, George W. Bush, question some of his decisions, but you don't have to make a choice, Bush or Trump, or do you think I'm wrong? No, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. And I think for most Republicans, what what you say is correct. You know, they uh, by the end they're pretty disillusioned with George W. Bush for uh, obvious reasons, but they didn't hate him. You know, and they voted for him twice, and they voted for Trump twice. And um, they, they will, if it's Trump the nominee, they'll they'll by and large they'll vote for Trump. If it's DeSantis as a nominee, by and large they'll vote for DeSantis. So most people aren't um, they they aren't in the well with Trump. So then everything before was horrible, or um, you know we we were with uh, Republicans before and Trump is horrible. Obviously there's some people like that on, on both sides, but you know 90% of Republicans, uh, as you say, aren't aren't don't feel compelled to make that choice. Less- Real quick, so are you predicting that the attorney general will indict Trump? I think it's more likely than not. So I don't have a high degree of certainty, but I used to discount it. I discount it no more, and I think there's a better than 50% chance he does it. Rich Lowry, National Review. Thanks so much, Rich. Hey, thanks, Brian. You got it. We come back. I'm going to open the phone. one 866 We're going to stop in Los Angeles, go over to Jacksonville, and then maybe to you. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. one 408 7669 I just got to encourage everybody, especially WGDJ listeners at 1300 AM in Albany. I'm going to start doing some of these appearances. I got a paperback coming out in November, and I'm able to co- coordinate that with going on stage and be able to talk about all my books and talk to all you guys, not only on the radio, which I have a chance to do every day, which is great, but to see you face-to-face. Uh, and be able to talk about things that are going on in your world, your community, your city, your town, with the station, with the show. I always love talking to people, and that's why we stage these stage shows, um, talking about a big red, white, and blue fun evening. Uh, my first one in a long time will be September 8th, 
And then I'm coming back uh, in Brandon, Mississippi, as well as Tulsa, Oklahoma. Just go to BrianKillMe.com. I'll be doing that on the 12th and 13th of November. Uh, let's go out to John. Listen to WOKV in Jacksonville. Hey, John. Barry in Los Angeles. Hey, Barry. Hey, Brian. Yeah, so I think the uh, the egregious overreach on the warrant and the raid were on purpose because DOJ knows they can't get Trump legally, so they're basically just going to manufacture some evidence. They're going to leak it and give it to the January 6th committee, and they're going to say Trump's guilty, 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 but oh, due to a technicality, we can't charge him on this. But they're just it's just a total political hit. Um, do, do you think they miscalculated? And, and, no, I think it's all up for you. You've actually brought up many reasons why it, you're saying that everybody's ignoring all of this other stuff. Yeah. I think they, they, I think it was they did this all on purpose, perfectly timed. But but here's what here's a pushback against my own theory, Barry, is that they wanted to talk about yesterday's bill. And, you know, I just looked up yesterday. I was traveling and every time I looked up and I, I put my AirPods in to listen on um, on the radio and on my app, everybody was talking about Trump, and they were not talking about this. And their bow was not effective. And if they really think it's going to be popular prescription drugs and all no. this stuff, they couldn't they, talk they about they it. No one's listening. I don't think they really wanted to talk about yesterday's bill. They know it's bad. They know they know that they're they know they're starting the Green New Deal. They're they're scamming. They're scamming the country it's it's hilarious that in regard to the green new deal that 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 eighty seven thousand irs agents thing is 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 hilarious it's what they're doing is they needed to it's a reconciliation bill so it needs to be revenue neutral so they they came up with this fictitious revenue that they're going to get from these irs agents they also know the republicans in the future might defund these irs agents then they're going to bring the Rep- From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in the Ukraine, where the fighting's happening. We have not forgotten about how we left Afghanistan almost a year ago today. Uh, This hour, we're going to be talking to all my guests. It's where I have it here. It's somewhere. Oh, Micro. He's my only guest. You actually do this for a living. This is amazing. I don't get paid. Uh, this is just all There'll experience. There'll be no money. There'll be no money. <laughs> I mean, and I reject when the money comes automatically into my, I get rid of it. And I said, can you please get rid Filthy of it? Filthy lucre. I right. didn't earn this. You don't get paid either, do you? No, nothing. No, yeah, no just, not just that warm Because you're wearing of, the same thing every time I see you. I got two shirts, three pants. Right. That's it. Fashion's done. I'm, I'm, I've embraced the uniform. He's, he's got this new thing, quietly quitting. <laughs> You hear about this new oh thing, quietly quitting? Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like a, a, a monument to passive aggressiveness. Uh, guys, just hold one second. Allison, you blew my whole format already. You know that, right? We can skip it. You think I should skip the big three just because Mike Rose here? 100%. And you think his instincts are better than mine? The big three? Why would you do the big three? You got the big one. Come on. Wow, there's the ego. And that's why a lot of people don't book you, Mike, <laughs> because you, it's the ego. No one can handle it. So I have. I'm, let me just tell people what they missed. Uh, they missed... Me telling you that one of the big stories was the raid 
on Mar-a-Lago. The other big story was the primaries last night, and the other big story was um, what was the other big story? It was so oh, big we don't signed, know what it is. Signed into law. You know yeah. the whole Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. really works effectively. It turns out the only problem with the bill is the title has nothing to do with the bill. If you can't get the title right, how are we supposed to believe what the actual content is in it? Look, we were joking about this the other day on Fox and Friends, but it's so true. It's, it's, the, it's the thing, never mind the politics of it, the thing that is making people fundamentally crazy, crazy, crazy. is that nothing is what it says it is, Absolutely. right? You're going to talk to my mom later. Her book's called Vacuuming in the Nude. She doesn't really vacuum in the nude, but that's okay. It's a... It's a book. Right. It's, it's a metaphor. It didn't cost $700 billion. billion. So, well, okay, what if we passed a law right now on your show yep. right, that just said, listen, no more names for acts and bills. They get letters and they get numbers. That's just what it is. Yeah. It's like a bingo game. Right. Okay? It's not sexy. It's not glamorous. But guess what? It, you, you can't put your thumb on the scale of a thing that is just a, a couple letters and a random number. People could look at it. You know, it's the same thing happened with the pandemic, right? Is it the China virus? Is it the Wuhan virus? Is it is it the coronavirus? Is it COVID? Is it? Well, you know, we spend so much time figuring out what to call a thing. We forget to look at what the thing is. Well, we could also just be accurate and says, of course, it's the Wuhan virus or mm-hmm. it's the China virus. It's one or the other. Sorry, you took it personal. That's where it started. Right. Uh, it, MERS, same thing uh, came from the Middle East. Uh, quick thing. Uh, we want to make sure everybody knows Mike work. Uh, Mike Rose. Works Foundation is something you should contribute to. It's about rebuilding blue-collar America. Also, you have How America Works on Fox Business, uh, Mondays at 8 o'clock, back with a new season. Yeah, yeah, season three uh, will be up in uh, September, it looks like. Looks and, great. And Vacuuming the Nude <laughs> and Other Ways to Get Attention is not out until August 21st, but you can get it now, right? It's out as it, Brian, I, we really have to have a talk offline. Why? Okay, Because you've got a lot of information in front of you, but I'm not sure how much of that's accurate. Vacuuming in the nude and other ways to get attention uh, hit the shelves yesterday. My mother's special, America's Grandmother, which is right here on Fox News, that premieres on the 21st of August at 10 p.m. My mother. Oh, yesterday, Tuesday, of course. Of course. Yeah, Tuesday, books. Tuesday's big day for books. But but it's a big day for mom. Yeah, that's well. I stand corrected. A lot of people would hesitate correcting the host. Yeah, a lot of people would. But you know what? (laughs) A a lot of hosts would would have stuck to their big three and marched, you know, right off the cliff and congratulated themselves for not being flexible. Right. uh, Lack of self-esteem on my part. You know what? I think it's inertia. This is here's the thing. All big three, all your items in the big three have one thing in common, which is they're all in the past. This true. is this is happening right now. That's though. a good point. Uh, thank you for <laughs> minimizing the quality of my show and the content on which people hear. Thank you. Uh, I will say that I, I I go out of my way to make sure you're not involved in politics. But I will say this: after uh, doing a special of only 45 minutes, you did a whole series on it with oil and gas. I didn't know almost anything about the business, but I'm humble enough to ask questions mm-hmm. and go out with George P. Bush. We go out to the fields of Midland, Texas, and we go out to an offshore oil rig, and then we go to the history of the oil museum and find out what the role of oil and gas has and how they've been diminished in our society by people who know nothing about it. Yeah. They don't understand petroleum in our genes, petroleum in the, our keyboards. They don't understand oil and gas, how we won World War II, yeah. and, how, and what it means for our national security. And to tell a bunch of kids graduating college, don't major in that in, in high school. Don't do what your families did. And to tell these great investment organizations that have all the success from Blackstone to J.P. Morgan, 
I don't want uh, your mutual funds investing in something that will help turn a profit for them. I think it's criminal. Well, look, if, if, if you make fossil fuels the enemy, then you are going to reap a whirlwind of unintended consequences really, really, really quickly. I get that a lot of people are convinced the end of days is coming 12, 15, 20 years down the road. I get that. But there's no proportionality and there's no context. And when you talk about flipping a switch and getting rid of oil and natural gas yeah. and even coal, for that matter, you would, you would hasten that Armageddon to an exponential factor. China and India alone are building a coal plant every week for the right. next 30 years. That's not going to change. Right. There are 30 billion people right now still burning wood and dung. If you want to bring them into the modern world, you're not going to do it with wind. You're not going to do it with solar. You're not going to do it with hydro. You might do it with nuclear, but we've got real problems with that, right? France, 90% of we their— We shouldn't have problems with that because we've done to do it responsibly. Well, you have to do it responsibly, and you have to deal with fossil fuels responsibly, but you can't just go, no, fossil fuels are the enemy, period. It's, it, it's over. That, that will hurt. On every imaginable level, in my view, Alex Epstein wrote a great book. It's called uh, Fossil Future. Right. And in it, he just says, look, let's have the conversation, but let's at least understand that fossil fuels have saved more lives over the last hundred years than anybody is really thinking about. You know, it's it, fossil fuels have protected us from the climate. Right. Right. In, in, in so many ways. But. It's hard to say that out loud today without it coming back over the net with so much topspin that somebody's going to call you a denier and then a conversation ends. So you know what's going to happen? And this is my – by the way, I don't, I don't actually don't mind doing it. I'm kind of used to it. But you're in the more of the real world than I am. <laughs> but actually not. I do travel a lot and do a lot of features. I should give myself some credit. You get out, yeah. Again, yeah, thank you. Um, I should really thank myself for giving myself a compliment. <laughs> but, Mike, it's to me the best analogy is to fund the police from two years ago. Mm-hmm. It was to fund the police. Yeah, let's reimagine police. And even and people say, you know, I have a cop thing on my car. I'm not going to put that up there. And you yeah. know, when it comes to Yankee Stadium and times to salute the first responders, let's not put cops out there. It's just not popular. And guess what we have? Crime taking over every major city, small, big or small. I'm in Memphis doing a feature with on Elvis and Graceland, and I asked the the police chief, the former police chief, what's the big deal? He goes, I've never seen crime like this. Same conversation. On Elvis Week. Same conversation in Baltimore last time I was there. I'll be there this afternoon as well, and I'm friendly with some cops, and it's the same thing. It doesn't matter where you go. You talk to a good cop, you're going to hear the same story. And I think, I think what we're talking about right now is the fact that we don't, we don't react anymore. We overreact to everything. And what winds up coming out in the language is the perfect manifestation of that overreaction. We overre- when we call a bill <laughs> something it isn't, that's an overreaction. When we want to talk about reforming police, we don't talk about reforming them. We don't we, – we talk about defunding them. Just tear it down. We're in a rush to tear everything down. Fossil fuels can't be problematic. They have to be the enemy and they have to be ended now. But see, now we're experiencing a rise of crime and now they're saying, you know, I want to get more money to the cops. I never said that. And the people like Corey Bush, they won't back off it. And we have this thing. We have VCRs now. We're taping just about everything. Yep. So we play it back. Having said that, now that crime's overrunning, we, we like more cops. They're not coming. Yeah. We can't get a cop. We can't get anyone to be a cop. Yep. All right? So you, you did that. You defamed them. You disparaged them. They were putting their lives on the line. They don't get paid a ton. There are some bad ones. There are some bad talk show hosts. Uh, there are some bad uh, firefighters. There are some bad teachers. Doesn't mean by a long stretch they're all bad. 
but we wanted to put them in that one category. If we do this with fossil fuels, if we continue to make them the enemy by not uh, by vilifying people that work there and stopping companies from investing there, in two years we're going to look around and go, why does the whole country have rolling blackouts? Why are we subservient to China? Correct. And, and then we're going to go, wait a second, let's reverse that. But it's going to be hard to get a generation to go back to the oil fields. It's going to be hard to get investment back into these industries. Right. Look, it starts with our institutions and a, a level of trust or mistrust that we have in them. This is not headline news. People talk about this every day. But here, the stakes are incredibly high. If the prognosticators of doom are correct, if the party's over in 12 years, well, then – of course, that's going to completely reframe the conversation. You mean the, the earth ends? The earth ends, yeah. right. Look, serious people who hold serious elected office have looked seriously and earnestly into the lens of whatever cameras around and, and, and told us, lights out, right? We only have 12 years. Now, if that's true, then we're going to have one sort of conversation. But is it? I mean, I don't have a crystal ball do you have Al Gore's? You have Al Gore's documentary. <laughs> that was a crystal ball, and yeah. we've 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 already survived it. And I think eighty five percent of what he put in it does not come true. Yeah. Well, I I just think that if if you want to have an honest conversation, the minute somebody calls you a denier, the minute somebody says you're not following the science, then we've just evolved into this place where the conversation is truly over. And now we have to be left with the fact: How would you like your Armageddon today, sir? In twelve years, we've served up this particular variety. But I'm here to tell you, you turn off oil, natural gas, and coal right now, today, then you don't have to wait 12 years. You'll get it in two months. You'll get it with empty shelves. You'll get it with gas prices that no one can afford. You'll get it with a, a, the bottom will fall out of the textile market, the clothes you're wearing, the computer you're on, the electricity that powers your Tesla yeah, guess what? There's a turbine spinning somewhere up the food chain. Right. You, you know what's powering that? That would be natural gas. And, and a lot of the people that you know better than me are the so-called celebrities who are flying around in their, in their jets like Leonardo DiCaprio and telling everybody, how dare you do, how dare you do this? The world's going to be ending. John Kerry's probably the worst offender. You even have Bill Gates evidently was the one to persuade Joe Manchin to vote for this monstrosity. The thing is, man, it's like... You have to I, – I don't – I hate to pick on people personally, but I would say to all the people you just mentioned, are you asking yourself, am I persuasive, right? I mean, it's a, it's a fair question, and it's one that I, I try and ask myself that all the time. I, I know I'm not always, but to go out with a message that is as elevated as it could be, the end of the world is coming, the truth is inconvenient, if you're going to sound the alarm, Blow the klaxon or whatever that is, right? You'd better be walking the walk. You know, I'll give Ed Bagley credit. Last time I heard him talk about this stuff, he was still living in a tree, right? And, he, and riding a bike. Right. So, okay, okay. But to, to, to deliver a message that dire and not live it, to deliver a message that dire and then buy a home on the coast? President Obama. Right. Well, listen, well, what is with you calling people out? Fine. Fine. That was a voice in your head. Who's ever if, if you're going to say a thing, walk the walk. And if so, you yeah. can't do it, well, then maybe say less. 
Why don't you, if you want to take a break, why don't you tell Mike? Because you you actually going with everything he said. Allison just said in my ear, take a break. All right, listen. But I'm a little, but Allison is it okay and I, well, I make an eye contact with her <laughs> through the smoky glass, and it looks like a break right now would be the only logical thing to do. Back with more of the Brian Kilmeade show <laughs> after whatever this is. Take Vacuuming care. in the nude. I mean, come on. You should try it sometime. When you're home alone, take your clothes off, fire up the vacuum cleaner, tidy up the place. It's freeing. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. States increased the amount they gave and and extended the version. Did that have an impact on your workers? It had, a, it had an impact on our ability to hire. A lot of people could, were making as much money or more money not working at all. Right. And so guess what? They chose not to work. Yeah. And it's been, they've been reluctant to come back to work. It's sort of, um, they got used to it. Micro with us, Micro Works. Uh, you got his foundation. You got uh, Micro, uh, How America Works on Fox Business, uh, Mondays at 8 o'clock, brand new season. And that was Hopeful CEO talking about something that's passionate to, with you is about work. John Mackey, one of the most successful executives in the country, can't get people to work. And it said since the pandemic, he can't get his mind around what's going on. Yeah. He's not alone. And he's in a tough spot because... He needs workers. He can't he, get a robot to do that. He needs workers, but he's in a tough spot because he occupies a certain real estate in the conversation. And the, the, the fans of Whole Foods, the people by and large, if you're going to try and drill down into their politics... That's not a message they want to hear from a guy like that. But it, what choice does he have? I, I, I don't know of any employer, and I know a lot of employers, Brian, especially in the, in the construction world, who couldn't hire a dozen people right now. But Anywhere I go, it's my only question I ask everybody. How many are you hiring? Yeah. It, how many could you hire? It's amazing. We've, we've got 7.5 million open positions 5.8 million people purportedly in the market looking for work. Even if all those people got hooked up with some of these jobs, and it's unlikely because the mismatch of skills is egregious, but even if they did, you'd still be looking at 6 million unfilled opportunities. And somebody somewhere at some point needs to ask this question real loud. What does all of that opportunity, all of that unfilled opportunity say about the country. But listen to our conversations, how it's changed. It wouldn't be like, why don't we get more people into technical colleges to fill up some of these uh, blue-collar positions? And now we say, why can't we get anyone to work? So what happened? We went from get them to, we have overstaffed in one place. You know, you can't fit into acting and, mm-hmm. and the arts. You can't really, it's hard to work in at Wall Street. But man, if you're a plumber, we're desperate for you. We'll train you. We'll send you to school. That used to be our conversation. But our new conversation is, Where's the workforce? Yeah. Well, it's not really new, but it is coming back around. The wheel is spinning, and that's the thing that, that's going to land squarely on our, on our doorstep. Work ethic, delayed gratification, a decent attitude, personal responsibility, all the stuff that makes me sound like an angry white boomer on the porch screaming at the kids to get off his lawn. I'm sorry, but that's the stuff that's for sale right now. And it's the stuff my foundation has always tried to magnify. It's the stuff no one wants to hear about it because nobody wants a lecture, Brian. Nobody wants to be scolded. Nobody wants to be told they're lazy. But 
at some point when you look around and you look at policies that are encouraging people not to work, then go back to our last break, right, when we were talking about what's the, what happens if you make the police the enemy? What happens if you make fossil fuels the enemy? What happens if you make work the enemy? This is what happens. Right. And this is what you need a leader to be, whether it's a governor in for your state or the president of your country or the leader of your family. You tell people the value and uh, the value of work and you sense stuff that was used to be innate. Man, I worked all day. I feel great about myself. You, yeah. you, you get that from your family. You get that from your leaders. You get that from your peers. We don't get that now. No, we don't. And we, we can change that. But I didn't think we'd have to consciously have to change that. But somehow through this pandemic, things got terrible. And everyone says the same thing. How did we get here? We're the workers. More micro in a second. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I've become, I remember I constantly was telling my father, I said, Dad, you just don't understand our generation. And I feel like I've become my father. I don't understand the younger generation. They they don't seem to want to work. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't wait to work. Work, yeah. work for me. I started working as soon as I was able to because that's how I could get money to spend things yeah, I, I mean, wanted. Do you think it's they don't want to work because they don't have to, whether it's their parents or government kind of feathering I don't know. them out? And, and that is more from John Mackey just talking about he's just exasperated. He doesn't figure where the work ethic went because he was – we don't know how we got it. But I, to me – I remember getting my papers saying in 12, 13, one more year, I can officially work. Mike Rowe here uh, talking about uh, his new se- his series is back uh, on Monday nights. So, Mike, what is your take on what John Mackey is asking the question, rhetor- not rhetorically, he wants an answer. What happened? Well, we have associated drudgery with work, all work. It's not fulfilling. We've made work the proximate cause of our collective unhappiness. We believe today that job satisfaction has something to do with the job, and it really doesn't. If it, if it weren't that case, well, guys like Booker T. Washington wouldn't have written what they wrote. If, if, if it were the case that job satisfaction is all about the job, then all garbage men would be equally miserable. All uh, Wall Street yeah. types would be equally uh, optimistic. It's laughable. All talk show hosts would be equally engaged. You know, job satisfaction has something to do with the job, but a whole lot more to do with the person. And if you if you start to look at work like this thing, this that's separate and apart from the man or the woman, then 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 you sort of arbitrage the fun out of it and 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 you just reduce it to action and activity. Why do you think this whole working from home thing is so sensitive right now. It's so it's so fraught, right? Because a lot of people who really favor it, I think, feel as though, okay, finally, now I'm in control. Now I have a measure of control that I didn't have over what I wear or how I sit or how long my break is or so forth and so, so on. So what's missing? So it, it sounds good. I control when I'm working. I control what I do. Mm-hmm. I decide what I can wear. Yep. I, Yep. I make my house an office. Yep. It, it, so, it all tracks right up to the point where you're not an entrepreneur. If you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to assume the risk that comes with creating a business, if you want to set your own hours, that's all well and good. But if you're going to accept a paycheck, then 
then you've made it a bargain. You've made a different kind of deal with yourself right. and with your employer. You know, you don't have to stick with that deal for the rest of your life, but you've made that deal. Micro, uh, I want you to hear this. I think it was, is it from TikTok? Was I right? This is from TikTok. This is 20-something mm-hmm. talking about this new term, quietly quitting. <laughs> I'm hearing people talk about the term quiet quitting. What that means is people are not going above and beyond anymore. They're not chasing hustle culture at work. They're just doing the required minimum. Essentially, they're doing what they're getting paid to do. Why does quiet quitting have such a negative connotation, though? Sure sounds a lot to me like creating work-life balance for yourself. (laughs) Look, a C plus, a C, you know, it's a passing grade, right? I mean, it's if you work hard, look, when I went to school and probably you too, we we got two grades. We we got a grade for our accomplishment and our aptitude, and we got a grade for our effort. I got attitude. It was attitude with us. <laughs> well it was one to five, I remember. Right, right. So all that stuff really matters. What is your attitude? What is your philosophy? What is have you taken the time to think about your relationship with work? Right. Like to really think about it. Have you made it the enemy? Have you uh, suggested perhaps that it's the proximate cause of whatever unhappiness you have in your life? Most people have. So the idea of quietly quitting, I'm sure, is very appealing to a lot of people because they don't have to step up and do it publicly. You don't have to risk being ostracized or shamed. Right. You just quietly fade away. And uh, yeah, that's what I'm going to do now. But I, I still like uh, my I, I actually really – hearing you talk, I actually relate to sports. One way not to lose is not to play. Sure. And, and if you're afraid to lose uh, to the point where you don't play, you blame the refs, you quit early, you do things like that, or you don't engage at all. So I can go compete. I'm going to go on Wall Street. I'm going to wear that suit. I'm going to try to make it way up. But if I fail, I don't want to feel like a failure, so I'm not going to engage. Those people are obsessed. These capitalists are obsessed mm-hmm. with winning and losing, making money. I'm, there's more to life than that. Sure. But that gives you a purpose, and to competing, it gives you a vigor. And if you have approach it with the right way to test yourself, that takes effort, and that takes risk. And the way not to have that is to say, those people are terrible and misguided. I'm out. And the way to give them the experiment is to give them a two-year break from working, <laughs> pay them not to work, and then take care of their apartments. We have uh, forgiveness. Sure. You don't have to pay. And guess who gets hurt by that? Everybody else. And landlords who didn't get any rent for two years well, and sure. he can't kick them out Look, and student loan payments that are not made. I, you're reading my mind. We, we've we've just asked millions and millions and millions of people who have worked really, really hard from the moment they got out of high school, who have built businesses, who, who, who create jobs. We're asking those people to write the check for $1.7 trillion in outstanding student loans from people who went another way, who made another choice. You want to talk about forgiveness? Fine. I forgive you. But I'm not going to forget, and I'm certainly not going to pay it off. You've got to do the deal. Look, you, you've, you... It took me 13 years to pay back my student loans with a deferment, which I had, to go to the, uh, I had to go to the bank and say, listen, I couldn't afford $126 a month. So they say you have 18 months. So when I came back, it was 225 And I, they sent that to – I took loans out every year till I was 35. I was just thinking about this this morning because I hear that Joe Biden's about to forgive everybody's loan. I got two dozen friends with big, fat – 
car payments and truck payments who run construction sites. They need their Ford 350. They, they need the big Dodge. They have to have it. They bought it. They're paying it off. They're building your house. They're building our roads. Is anybody talking about paying off the debt of that truck? Not that I know of. Let me look it up. Nope. Nope. Of course not. And by the way, nor should we. But the, all you need to know about where the line is drawn is about what tools we value. People on dirty jobs, they don't quit quietly. When they quit, they quit, and they move on to the next thing, and they keep going. They don't do anything quietly. They do everything proudly, and they do it all the way up. Like Ernest Hemingway said, there's only one way to live, all the way up. Doing it quietly, doing something, the more important a thing is, the more proudly you ought to do it. Mm -hmm. Well, quitting quietly is just another way of saying whatever it is I've been doing, doesn't matter. The other thing, I did a special on Hemingway. I can't say uh, that I'm an expert on him, but doing a special on him, he would write for three or four hours, a certain time, certain day. Uh-huh. People say, well, he was always crazy. He was on the city. No, there was, there was a time to write. There was time to work. And there was a time to live life and then write about what you lived. That's right. And that's what he did. But he was disciplined. He would sit at the same typewriter every day in the same room and people knew not to bother him. So even those people who are freelancing out there, you got to set up a discipline. Seinfeld's the best example. Mm-hmm. Seinfeld writes a certain amount, a certain amount of time. He, he keeps records meticulously. And he lives a life in which he make, calls his own shots and he does it better than anybody else. But I would tell you, the talent aside, it's the work. It's the discipline. Look, this this is why working from home is also scary. Most people don't have Hemingway's force of will. When you're home, like how it's very, very difficult for people to do what you just described. Hemingway, by the way, I loved what he said about athletics since you brought that up. He said uh, there are only there are only three sports. There's boxing, there's race car driving. And there's mountain climbing. <laughs> Everything else is a game. Really? Yeah. I got to call ESPN. Because they're covering, wait, they're covering all the wrong stuff. They're covering all the wrong stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, listen, when we come back, uh, a special guest. Uh, obviously, the most talented row in the family, uh, Peggy Rowe, the mom of Mike Rowe. Uh, a brand new book out yesterday. I knew that. Vacuuming in the nude <laughs> and other ways to get attention. A special on Sunday. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show when Mike Rowe lets me lock out. <laughs> Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. She came late and she said, oh, I'm so sorry. She said I was vacuuming and I looked at the clock and I realized how late I was. So I jumped right in the shower. She said, fortunately, I back him in the nude. And we were all just, and I said, what? You have some clothes on. She said, no, no, I always take a shower right after it because I get so hot. And I said, what, you were home alone, right? She said, no, no, Dan was in the next room. And I never forgot that. I thought, wow, putting herself right out there. And then she said, and sometimes he joins me in the shower. <laughs> uh, that is Peggy Rowe, uh, the author of a brand new book, Vacuuming in the Nude. You got that talk. That's why they're talking like that. And other ways to get attention. Her special, America's Grandmother, about her new book, airs this Sunday, the 21st at 10 o'clock on Fox News Channel at 11. And FBN drops on Fox Nation 
uh, and on uh, FBN, I should say, and on Fox Nation, it will be available, too, on August 21st. You go to that app. You can click on it, watch it anytime without the commercials. And guess who's in studio? If you're smart enough to watch Fox Nation now, uh, Peggy Rowe, mother of micro. Mm-hmm. But you should say you should be the son of Peggy. Son of Peggy. Because exactly. she's already a best-selling author at 80 years old. What was that like, Peggy, to become a bestseller at 80? <laughs> oh, it was exhilarating. It really was. Um, I've been wanting to have a book my entire life. You've been writing every day for years? For years. And I've published in magazines and newspapers. But I've always wanted a book. And it didn't happen until I was 80. And golly, it really has been exciting. Um, right. It's hard in some ways. Um, it requires a lot of energy to go out and do book events um, and be on television, etc. But... Uh, but you know there are advantages. I, I've never been part of the Me Too movement. <laughs> Sexual harassment really hasn't been a problem. It has not. Thank goodness. Yet. I mean, that's looking at the glass half full. Yet. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, so, so Mike, how great has it been you to see your mom become a bestseller? Because you knew her ability, talent, and dedication. Yeah, I mean, it's the greatest gift. Uh, a lot of great things have happened to me. Dirty Jobs was sort certainly a game changer, and I go down the list. But watching. Well, for as long as I remember, my mom gets up, she grabs her yellow legal pad, and she goes out into the world with a number two pencil, and she starts interviewing people, strangers, a cop on horseback. She writes a story, you know, and the next day, it's 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 stuck to the refrigerator with a magnet, and my dad takes it down and walks around the neighborhood reading it to people. You know, this is how they live. 60 years, dude. 60 years she wrote with a, with some encouragement right there's a mag- there's an article in a horse magazine there there's one in the local paper but to see her finally become a new york times best selling author at 80 yeah personally it was gratifying but to but to see the reaction in other people who aren't writers but who are simply doing what we were talking about before trying to find the discipline that hemingway had trying to find a passion in their life my mom proved it's it's really never too late so what it, what do people tell you when they come up to you? What do they ask you? What do they what do they remark about Peggy? Well, their first question is, "What does it feel like, you know, to be an overnight success at eighty? Yeah. And I want to say, I beg your pardon. I've been writing for years. I am not an overnight success. And so often people will say, "You know, I think I have a book in me. I think I'm going to start writing." And I remind them that they have to do their homework. Uh, you take writing courses. You go to writing conferences. You you join critique groups. And you work at it. But most of all, you write every day. That's so important. And do you do you type or write? I use my computer, my word processor. You made the adjustment. Indeed. And, you know, I think about people like Irma Bombeck, who lived years ago. She used a typewriter. And, and I think white of, out. And white out. And all the times I delete, I'm so blessed to have a computer, especially because I have arthritis and I think I couldn't use a typewriter. Right. But now you can hire someone to type for you. You could just pace around the house and say, take this down. I could do that while I'm vacuuming. Huh? Yes, you could. Absolutely. There's an where the, where, So where did the title come from, Mike? Did you help or? No, well, I read her draft. And uh, buried in one of the stories was this reference to her friend who vacuums in the nude. You'll hear the whole story on the special this Sunday. But I'm like, Mom, you know, as, as, as visuals go, 
You know, that's a title. That's a title that people are going to it, – it begs a question. And the question, of course, is do you vacuum in the nude, Mrs. Rowe? <laughs> Not really. Not yet. <laughs> that's a what? yes or no answer. Yeah. But I have, I have a social media presence. I have hundreds of thousands of followers, and they comment regularly. And one woman actually said to me, oh, Peggy, I think maybe you're starting a trend. I'm going to try that. That That's was nice. not my intention, really. But you know what? You can't help it. If America feels more comfortable that way, just to get Americans off the couch, we can't be judging. <laughs> no. And look, here's the part of the title that I think is actually more important. It's the it's the little print that says, and other ways to get attention. Because if there's a metaphor for these times, that's it, right? right. TikTok, Snapchat, Facebook. That, I mean, Influencers. Everybody everywhere is trying to get somebody's attention. And my mom's from a different age. She's from a different time. Um, and, and so too are her friends. And the idea that you can get the attention of your significant other just by pushing a vacuum through the living room and the all together. Right. I mean, that's both, that's a, what a weird mix of sweet and dirty, but I kind of like it. <laughs> oh, and it would be very off-putting at my age. <laughs> right. Especially, yeah. Uh, Peggy, uh, let me ask you something about, uh, about Mike. Was he somebody that liked to get dirty? Was he someone like a grease monkey? Oh, Brian, as a child, I worried about him. He had such an aversion to dirt. He would walk around mud puddles. He wouldn't touch Play-Doh because it was icky. Play-Doh was icky? Icky. And listen, one day we went to a friend's and she was having a finger painting session. And Mike wouldn't even come in the room. He didn't want any part of finger painting. (laughs) Is this true, Mike? It's true. I worried about him. I was uh, a different. I, I was a different person. I mean, the doorbell would ring. I like the idea uh, of meeting people was so horrifying. So shy, he would dive under the kitchen table when the doorbell rang, or run into the hall closet. And, and have you figured that out? Why? Yeah, I was. I was painfully shy. I had a weird stammer. I was just. You a were, diff- You had stuttered. Yeah, yeah. I was a different person um, growing up. Um, Partly because I was traumatized by the sight of my naked mother cleaning the house. Which is, yeah, right? it's a full I mean, circle. It's, it's horrifying. But no, no, I, I, I decided in high school, literally, to with, with, with the help of a, of a really gifted uh, teacher, to be somebody else. You know, and literally, I changed everything. I changed the way I thought about dirt, work. I changed the way I thought about people, about talking, about everything. I, I hit the reset button. And, and what is the real you? No one knows. Hey, <laughs> what's the real hit? Is this, this the real Mike? This is the real Mike. It absolutely is. And, you know, the other day we were doing a, an interview on the sidewalk, a spontaneous interview. And a man walked by and, and saw that it was Mike, did a double take. And he, he just yelled, I love you, micro. And he went on about his way, bumped into somebody. Um, what's that like for, for you as the, his mom? I feel very proud that Mike is so gracious. People feel safe with Mike. They, they know do. that he's going to be polite to them. He's not going to brush them off. But he's also not really nice to me that much. But still, no. vacuum in the nude and other ways to get attention. It's out. Go buy it. Watch Sunday. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. 
Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Glad to be back in action with you on this Wednesday from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, this hour, we're going to be doing a simulcast with Harris Faulkner. And I'm going to actually hear from Talmadge Boston, a presidential historian, award-winning commercial litigator who wrote this great column, How Biden is Copying Lincoln and Roosevelt in Style but not in substance. A fascinating look on why his approval rating is not budging, even though he's passing some stuff, which makes me wonder if we should do the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This primary election is over, but now the real work begins. Lincoln ultimately prevailed. He saved our union. And he defined our obligation as Americans for all of history. Primarily speaking, Palin and Murkowski survive, while Liz Cheney, who you just heard from, is destroyed as Trump-endorsed candidates rack up a total of 187 wins at a 92% clip. For Liz Cheney, I'm pretty sure Lincoln is not the apt comparison. Number two. I believe presumption of innocence for everybody, including Garland. I want to presume he did the right thing. But the affidavit is the essential crucial point. Fallout continues from Mar-a-Lago's raid on all sides and a hearing Thursday to debate the release of the affidavit, which could reveal the FBI's true intentions. What will happen? Number one. Every single Republican, every single one, voted against tackling the climate crisis, against lowering our energy costs, against creating good-paying jobs. There you go. Signed into law, the deceptively named Inflation Reduction Act, emboldened Biden to call out Republicans for not backing it. Why that declaration helps the GOP? Why? Because the piece of legislation is totally partisan, is all about climate change, is not about reducing inflation, is about weaponizing the IRS, is about putting 80 billion plus into it. Republicans want nothing to do with that. Where if you talk about In theory, green energy, yeah, that's fine. Well, what does it mean in practicality? Not much, because the infrastructure is not ready. How much is spending? What's it going to cost? That's when the rubber hits the road. What they're going to love, Democrats are saying, look, I got got, um, uh, pharmaceutical products down in price. I've capped Medicare expenses. That's fine. But just so you know, there's other parts of the economy. We'll pay the price for that. Insulin's down. That's fine. But if pharmaceutical companies were gouging, then they, they would just make less money. But that's not the case. If you look, talk to anyone in biotech, there's a reason why those prices are so high, because we are the biotech leader of the world. And if there's going to be a ripple effect, if you cap the prices on pharmaceutical drugs, we're on drugs, where are you going to get the other money from? It doesn't come out of pure profit. It comes out of production. What happens, they don't manufacture it again. I'm sorry. Yeah, it doesn't make sense for me to make that medicine. It doesn't make, me, doesn't make sense for me to innovate here. We no longer have the profits to, for R&D. We're not going to do it. And then we become like everybody else. That is the downside of what we've been witnessing happening with this Inflation Reduction Act, which, by the way, is, should, is not aptly named. Of all people that know it, Senator Joe Manchin. Listen to him yesterday. Cut six. I mean, climate, energy, health, debt reduction. But when it comes to inflation, is it misleading to call this the Inflation Reduction Act for Americans when it's not going to make their grocery bill cheaper? It's not going to make everyday goods cheaper for them. Why would it? Why would it? Well, immediately it's not. But I mean, we never said anything happen immediately. Like today, it's turned the switch on and off. But not at all. The Wharton School of Business, the Office of Management and Budget preliminary report, no effect on inflation. Warden School of Business, University of Pennsylvania, no effect on inflation. 
And then you have a member of the, uh, the squad, uh, Jayapal, come out and say, yeah, I didn't name it, shouldn't be named that. It is the biggest investment in green energy ever. And that's what we've been discussing. Now it's official. And now you have $60 billion worth of environmental climate enforcement. Really? Climate enforcement? How do you do that? Can't wait. $80 billion for the IRS. Well, the IRS evidently uses cobalt as a language. They need to get out of the dark ages to get 1,200 inquiries every second. So they need something to handle it. Good. How much are you putting into technology? $5 billion of the $87 billion that is set aside for them. Something's got to change there. I, I just don't even think you can hire that many people in the country that want to be IRS agents for that money and that drudgery and that potential for nonstop conflict. Here's Kevin Brady on what this actually means for the country. Cut nine. We've been down this road. It ends badly. Uh, you saw the same thing, which is the um, subsidies for the semiconductors on chips. Mm. Uh, they sent massive amounts of money to departments to be able to do innovation and, and supply chain issues. Again, no expertise, no business experience in this. You're seeing this just repeatedly in this government. And the fact of the matter, it, it is our free enterprise system that makes the biggest strides in research and greenhouse gas emissions reduction in moving to a cleaner uh, environment. But, you know, under Joe Biden, government's the answer, government's the solution, and everyone needs to pay for it. That's what it seems, uh, and it's hard to argue. Uh, the other big story, of course, what's happening with, since the raid on Mar-a-Lago. Now we find out that the president was confronted by the archives by his people, and they did give up 15 boxes right away. And in May, they had another additional inquiry there, and the lawyers came out and uh, provided more information. And there might have been a lawyer that signed off, or may not. I don't believe everything I'm reading in the New York Times on that all classified information is out. And they did meet again on June 2nd. They did get an informant on June 22nd. We do not understand how this dialogue went into a raid and now a possible indictment to the point where you cannot expose the affidavit. Because in the affidavit, it might expose what they're actually looking for with this grand jury now sequestered. And get this, a criminal investigation now in full stride. Really? On the president for taking documents? You're really going to do this? Merrick Garland? And it was such an emergency that you've been thinking about doing it for weeks. And when you got the warrant, you still waited days. Something doesn't add up here. And nuclear codes, not going to cut it. The president was taking memorabilia, mementos. Maybe he should, maybe he shouldn't. Maybe the president should never take anything, like the furniture. Maybe he should never smash your hard drive, like Hillary Clinton, or have bleach pit, wipe it out entirely, like Hillary Clinton. Obviously. But we're not talking about indicting a sitting president. And why are you shocked that there's such uproar around it? And as Bill Moore said, and I'll paraphrase, Donald Trump was fading. You just brought him back. Like it or not. When we come back, simulcast with Harris Faulkner. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. We're going to do a simulcast on the number one network in all the world. Number one, not just in news, but overall, uh, Fox uh, News Channel. Uh, Harris Faulkner, the Faulkner Focus, is on right now. And we're going to be uh, listening in together. Let's share each other's audiences. Let's go. Voice in the U.S. House of Representatives. Today we have succeeded at what we set out to do. We have reclaimed Wyoming's lone congressional seat. 
Cheney told the Today Show this morning she's also considering running for president, though she has yet to make a decision on that. Harris? Rich Edson, thank you very much. Now for that special time when the Kilmeade radio show is on TV and the Faulkner focus is on his radio show simulcasting gold. Brian Kilmeade, co-host of Fox and Friends, host of One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Great to see you today. First of all, Liz Cheney, is she the one to keep Donald Trump out? Uh, obviously not. I mean, she lost by about 30, 40 points in a place she won with 70 percent of the vote last time. I mean, would, I think Liz Cheney did something that Senator Cassidy and Senator Mikowski and others didn't do. She voted to impeach. That's one thing. But she actually leads the impeachment. I mean, she's ahead of Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff in terms of despising Donald Trump. And that's not something you do if you want to stay in politics at this moment. Liz Cheney voted with Donald Trump. Almost for all four years, about over 90 percent of the time, they agreed on almost everything except for in certain areas of foreign policy, which a lot of people uh, on the right disagree with different things you did with Syria, maybe the talks that led to Afghanistan. But besides that, they agreed, which they doesn't agree on something snapped in Liz Cheney after January 6th. But to meet with James Goldston of ABC, the one who's literally producing the January 6th hearings, who should spend countless hours editing these packages together to sell America on how bad Trump is, and then to meet with him for the concession speech as they pick Jackson, Wyoming, uh, overlooking these beautiful mountains and wonderful landscape in a jeans jacket. She's producing it again. (laughs) The concession speech was produced by a guy from the January 6th hearing makes everything seem so contrived, Harris. That is a detail that is very salacious in this, in this whole thing, because it talks about a kind of brotherhood slash sisterhood um, that maybe people don't know about. By the way, Brian, do you know, did she use some of that? I voted with Trump 90% of the time on the campaign trail, or no. did she just, no, because no. she can't be that yoked to him. I mean, that, that's like when Al Gore ran and tried to deny Bill Clinton was his friend. Right. And it's just an inauthenticity, almost like the, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. We know it's nothing to do with mm. reducing inflation. We're getting used to the head fake, but she could have used it for her advantage. The ones that survived, the Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp, as governor of, of Georgia, was attacked by Donald Trump almost every day for a while. He never engaged. Hey, I got, I got a state to run. Yeah, that's it. Sorry he feels that way. Never had a problem with him. That's how you keep your job and stay a Republican and win. That's how you do it. Liz Cheney says, no, no, I'm going to take him on. But I will personally, I don't think you have to make a choice and say I either like Trump or like Bush and Cheney. I, I have a lot of respect well, maybe, for the Bushes, for the don't. Cheneys. And I, have, I, I remember Liz Cheney was here for a long time. You know how smart she is. You oh, know how yeah. confident she is. I have not forgotten that. But I here I think her, she yes. made some huge mistakes for, for a lot of reasons. Look, I think it got very personal. Maybe you and, and others would not need to do any of that performative behavior about, you know, uh, not denying one side, whatever, so that you can keep in the middle, keep your job. But maybe she felt the pressure of that because of her last name. And if you've seen her dad's ads, maybe how the rest of the family would feel politically. There's no way to know. We don't sit at the dinner table with them. But I wonder if this is a topic, because now Liz Cheney reportedly had this to say about a possible run for the White House. I'm not going to make any announcements here this morning, but uh, but it is something that I uh, I'm thinking about and I'll make a decision uh, in the coming months. So we talked to voters about this. They're mixed. No, please. No, 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 no. We need women, strong women with powerful 
decision-making and fair. I don't see her getting a whole lot of support from Republicans. I have no use for people that, that quit the brand to ride for you know, another brand. So we saved her some money and put up a focus group for her. So we'll move on. That was nice. Um, eight of 10 of the House Republicans who voted to impeach Trump either lost their primaries or will retire from Congress at the end of the current term. What does that tell you about Donald Trump, the Republican Party, versus those 10? A couple of things. I mean, he is extremely powerful. He's persuasive. And the people that like him don't just like him. They love him. But you only get one vote. It's not a passion. I'm going to vote for that person plus a nine for attitude. It doesn't happen. <laughs> so uh, that would Trump would be off the charts. Trump in the national picture is still between 38 and 42 percent. That's not going to get you the presidency. But it gets you a lot in a primary. Harris, the ultimate verdict, as you know, will be for Donald Trump is November. I am not somebody who thinks that a lot of these candidates are off the charts. Mastriano's within five points. Uh, Herschel Walker's within two points. Dr. Yes. Oz is a light years better candidate than Fetterman. And Fetterman is Bernie Sanders in Pennsylvania. As soon as he's exposed, that's not going to fly. So a lot of the people that he supported uh, are a lot better off than people are portraying them because they want to minimize them because they're not necessarily household names. So I think we'll ultimately decide the power of Trump afterwards. But I thought Bill Maher put it best. Since this raid, the complications with this raid are many for the Trump team. I get it. But in the short term, as Bill Maher said and laments, you've woken up a giant. He is now popular again. People are rallying around him again. They were beginning to go towards DeSantis. They're all thinking Trump. And who Merrick Garland, I'm not well, sure he really him. thought this, but he's reinvigorated the, the Trump brand. They're seeing him because the other networks also know that if they don't cover him, they don't have legitimacy. So they're all over the place. And look, some of the stuff there, I, I don't watch all of them all of the time, but they do have to come clean about that raid. You saw a Democrat joining a Republican atop the Senate with Rubio and, and Warner getting together in that private letter. Yeah. We need more information for the American public on that raid. Uh, it's, it's an interesting situation with Trump because he is back in the headlines. 80% of anything, 8 out of 10 of those who voted for impeachment lost their seats. 80% of anything is more than a trend. Right. Let's move. In Alaska, two Trump-backed candidates advanced to the general election. Congressional candidate Sarah Palin and Senator Lisa Murkowski's challenger, Kelly Chewbacca. Murkowski, often a Trump critic, is fighting to hold on for her, to her seat. Palin is vying for an open seat. Axios count of Trump's choices showing the former president's influence, as Brian and I were just talking about, in competitive races, endorsed candidates have won those Senate primaries, eight of nine, 18 of 27 House primaries, 16 of 24 statewide primaries. Those numbers don't even include the ones I just gave you from yesterday's primaries. Brian. Overall, 92 percent of uh, all of those, over 180 of the 197, over 187 of the 197, he endorsed to have won. So pretty impressive. But on Alaska in particular, remember, Senator Murkowski lost her primary, and then she won, ran as an independent and won that seat for another six years. She's got a lot of residual power in Alaska and confidence, even though she voted against Kavanaugh. Remember that. And she also uh, voted to impeach Trump. We understand that. The other thing with Sarah Palin, I understand I've never been to Alaska, but I understand she turned off a lot of people and they still are resentful that she walked away after getting reelected as uh, governor. So they were upset that she did that and don't think she's been back to the state enough. But still, she's in the runoff for that seat. They're going to count mail-in ballots and see who will fill in that seat temporarily. Mm -hmm. 
But yeah. overall, Senator Mikowski, for to keep to survive, did it right. Yeah, I voted to impeach him. Next, next question, and move on. Don't make uh, him your enemy. Just say this is what I'm going to yeah. do for people of Alaska. Yeah, I'm a Republican. This is what I'm going to do for people of Alaska. That's what Youngkin did. Youngkin's like, yeah, I heard Donald Trump supported me. That's great. I appreciate it. But I'm running as myself. That is the key in the purple areas. It is a areas. gift not to make an enemy when you don't know what to say. Right. You, and, and, yeah. Yeah, what's I mean, the goal? I mean, that's a lesson that I try to keep teach my teenagers. Yeah, the goal is to keep that If you don't have what you need to say to keep it neutral, then maybe you don't say anything because enemies are tough sometimes. Uh, Brian Kilmeade, we simulcast again. Yeah, It's always a super fantastic thing to do with you. Thank you very much. I know my audience feels the same exact way. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the hallway, Harris, or at the Christmas party. (laughs) That's a long time. Yes, All right, see ya. All right, go get him. Harris Barkner, thank you. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Now, at the bottom of the hour, we're going to take this a different direction. We're going to talk about not Donald Trump. It's about Joe Biden. Joe Biden thinks he's making history. He's meeting with historians like John Meacham on a regular basis and Michael Beschloss to talk about, wow, I have the House, I have the Senate. What can I accomplish? And the bottom line is you can get the rescue package done You could on your own. You could get the bipartisan infrastructure package done on your own. Electoral college reform on your own. Almost none of that came from the White House. It was all done in the Senate and the House. What he did is got out of the way in many of those cases. But this piece of legislation is pure, is pure agenda. What's the difference between that and FDR? FDR looked at what the people wanted and tried to give it to it the people who voted for him wanted. Understood? And that's why his ratings went up and he won four elections. Why is Joe Biden stuck just below 40% while getting stuff done? Because he's getting stuff done for his party, not the people. That's the premise. We'll talk about it when we come back on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. This primary election is over, but now the real work begins. The great and original champion of our party, Abraham Lincoln, was defeated in elections for the Senate and the House before he won the most important election of all. Lincoln ultimately prevailed, he saved our union. And he defined our obligation as Americans for all of history. That is Liz Cheney saying that just like Lincoln, when he lost his elections, he just primed himself for the one opportunity to become president. He would win, win again and become the greatest president arguably ever at our most vital time. Can you make that same comparison? Talmadge Boston is a presidential historian, also all around smart thinker. He is a uh, award-winning commercial litigator, too. He's got a brand-new column out called uh, Biden is copying Lincoln and Roosevelt in style, but not substance. But first on the most the newest news, the primary loss of Liz Cheney. Talmadge, is that – do you look at Liz Cheney and think Lincoln? I see a lot in Liz Cheney that I like. Uh, she seems to be in a serious quest for the truth about exactly what happened on January 6th. 
And obviously to do that as a Republican takes a heck of a lot of courage. Uh, she was obviously opposed by a Trump-backed candidate who beat her rather handily. Uh, I'm thinking that's not going to be the end of her political career because I know a lot of people on both sides, both moderate Republicans as well as Democrats, who are pleased that there are at least some Republicans who are willing to try to figure out exactly what the situation was on January 6th and what should be done about it. Do you think that she's uh, going to be like Lincoln and run for president? Do you think in two years that she'll have the support? Well, it's hard to gauge support now, and obviously a lot of that depends on the shifting in the Republican Party. Either it will uh, stay oriented toward Trump or it will move away from Trump. I saw that uh, Laura Ingraham a couple of nights ago said that her sense is that uh, many Republicans who until now or until recently have been uh, supporting Trump are, are getting Trump fatigue and are realizing uh, that uh, the only way that Biden could get reelected, assuming he runs again on the Democratic side, is if he's opposed by Trump. So uh, before we'll, we can evaluate what Liz Cheney's status is, uh, a lot of that uh, depends on, on the, the moving of the Republican Party. And that is that is in play and up in the air, and, and surely there will be a lot of movement over the next two years before it settles down uh, come election time. Yeah, I don't see any way in two years he's going to, to reverse it. If you, if you lose Wyoming by 45 points, it's hard to imagine – uh, how that changes rapidly, especially when other people in the race are not that far. I mean, when you have other people that offer something totally different, you got a lot of talent on that side. But to your column, uh, you you write about this. So Joe Biden is saying to himself, "Look at all the stuff I'm accomplishing. Look at all the meetings I've had with Doris Kearns Goodwin and uh, and uh, John Meacham. Uh, tell me how uh, great I am and what I have to do to be to be like FDR. Why isn't he? Why doesn't he have the ratings of FDR?" And the uh, if not the accomplishments. Well, I mean, obviously he's not eloquent like FDR was or like Abraham Lincoln was. He's not brilliant like FDR was and and Abraham Lincoln was. Uh, so you're dealing with with a, a greatly smaller deck of uh, leadership traits than either of those two giants had. But in terms of those matters over which he actually potentially at least might have some control. And that is to be diligent and try to figure out what Americans want, not just what the fringe of the Democratic Party wants, but what Americans want is where I think, uh, and others join in that opinion, uh, noted New York Times of all uh, media outlets, their leading uh, political guy saying he has not tapped into the working class. A leading political scientist down here says he has not tapped into the Latino, which historically, until recently, has been uh, supporting uh, typically Democratic candidates. So he's not done the heavy lifting of finding out really where the people are, and instead, and which is remarkable in that he was elected because he was perceived to be the moderate Democrat and, and, and not Bernie Sanders, and as someone who, because of that, was deemed electable uh, over uh, Trump. So his his failure to do what would appear obvious to do is is puzzling. Uh, the fact that he's had uh, the legislative success recently is underwhelming to me because, after all, both houses of Congress are controlled by his party. 
if you can't get legislation passed under those circumstances where the president and both houses of Congress are all of the same party, then you're really in the wrong business. Here, here's what Joe Biden said yesterday after passing a $700 billion, we all know it's not an inflation reduction. That's another thing. The title's wrong, um, and nobody thinks it's right. Cut three. And remember, every single Republican in Congress voted against this bill. Every single Republican in Congress voted against lowering prescription drug prices, against lowering health care costs, against the fair tax system. Every single Republican, every single one, voted against tackling the climate crisis, against lowering our energy costs, against creating good-paying jobs. So I don't think Republicans are going to be uh, upset being left off this bill, but the president is characterizing it that way. Is that something reminiscent of FDR and Lincoln? Well, I think FDR and Lincoln were typically straight with the people. And obviously, when you call this new bill an Inflation Reduction Act, you are not being straight with the people. When you brag about all those things that Biden just mentioned, but you don't mention that a lot of that stuff isn't going to kick in for four, five, and six years. Uh, When you ignore the uh, analysis by the nonpartisan congressional office by the Wall Street Journal and act like uh, your economic analysis of the inflationary effects is is absolutely correct when there's all this countervailing uh, highly respected opinions and analysis. Again, it all boils down to uh, how, how credible is Joe Biden when he says all these things, when it doesn't take anything to look into the actual facts of the matter and realize that there, there's a whole lot missing from what he says. And anytime you are not forthcoming and truthful in, in stating your positions, you lose credibility. And I think that's a big reason why Biden's uh, approval ratings are so low, because his credibility is so low, because at best he gives incomplete information, and, and at worst he gives false information. Right. you got to say, okay, what is uh, my agenda, but then what does the country need? If it doesn't matter what Lincoln wanted, he tried to get the country back together. It doesn't matter what FDR's vision was. We were coming out of a depression. We were looking straight ahead at a war. What's going to help keep the country, uh, going to get the country mobilized to defend itself and stand itself up economically? We don't see leadership like that. We see a lot of people saying, I want to please, I don't know, the left wing of his party and not necessarily going to help the working class, which it could it could be the reason why his approval rating doesn't really touch 40 percent these days. Well, as I said in my column, you know, it's ultimately about uh, prioritizing. And historically, the HL rule is America votes its pocketbook. And right now, America is hurting in the pocketbook because of the uh, inflation, the record-breaking inflation, which, again, contrary to what Biden said last week when he said it's zero, meaning not that it's zero, but that it's zero increase from the previous month, but it's still over 8 percent. This is the kind of false statements that cause him to have so little credibility and being so incapable of uh, breaking down any of the polarization that exists, as opposed to the way Lincoln and FDR did their best to work with everybody, listen to everybody, compromise when necessary, but persuade when necessary. This is what the great presidents do and what Biden has not been doing. So I, I guess, do you think it's been a mistake for him to meet with historians, or is he just misinterpreting their lessons? 
Well, I, I think uh, it, it's never a mistake to know about history. I mean, that's why I write about it. But you have to embrace it uh, from a complete angles, not from incomplete angles. And so it's always good to know what the best people in any field did, whether it's you with your whoever your heroes are in news casting over the years or commentary over the years or me as a lawyer or me as a historian or anything else. It's always good to know what the best people did. But what most important is you then need to apply it and, and, and execute on it. And, that's, and that typically involves a lot of heavy lifting and diligence, and, and those are the things that Biden is missing. Which I think you, I love this paragraph. You wrote, message to Biden from those who elected him. Stay aligned with the majority of your voters. Prioritize the issues that resonate most strongly with them. That's how Lincoln and FDR went about their business. And the soundness of the proposition was also established uh, by Barry uh, Goldwater, his landslide loss, and McGovern in 72. They said, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, this is who I stand for. The American people rejected it. Didn't mean that something that happened after didn't affect future politicians. But they were true to their school. They put it out there. President Biden won as, ran as one thing and is doing something else. And that's why the American people are so displeased. That's your yeah, – I mean, that, Yeah, I mean, Goldwater was, you know, considered to be far right. He ran as far right, and he got annihilated. But at least, you know, he was true to his colors. And over time, toward uh, the Reagan presidency, the Republican Party and many Americans shifted. Similarly, McGovern, you know, was was playing to the far left. He got annihilated. Uh, and, and so whoever's going to be successful as president, you need to be in the business of attempting to unify the country. You're never going to unify the country if your whole – uh, focus is on the extreme right or the extreme left, and that's, as you say, and as I say, what's so puzzling is uh, surely Biden knows why he got the nomination and who his support was in November of 2020, as opposed to who he's been playing to ever since he got sworn in. So, uh, Talmadge, where are you now? Are you still in Houston? No, I'm in Dallas. In Dallas. So yeah, you're I'm in Dallas. Dallas and- Can you give me an idea of what you see on the ground, polls aside, is it really is is Beto Rook really within single digits of Governor Abbott? Oh, I feel sure Governor Abbott's gonna gonna win. Uh, you know, uh, Beto O'Rourke has run uh, for a number of offices. He's never won. Uh, he's uh, he uh, is appealing to the people on the outer edges, but I think most people who study what he says and what he's done realize that he's as close to an empty suit. As there is, uh, and I do want to say, you know, as far as Dallas, my column ran in the Dallas Morning News. I want to sing the praises of the Morning News for carrying my work. But the Dallas Morning News and all the polls around here are showing that, that Abbott has has a good lead, and I do not see that changing. Understood. And uh, lastly, on the border, have you ever seen it worse? Well, it's terrible, and you know, obviously, that's a huge issue. And if if Biden or O'Rourke or anybody else wanted to start turning the tide toward the Democratic Party, you would think they would understand how important uh, maintaining order uh, on the border is, and yet they don't seem to get that. And so, the crisis continues and grows. And uh, it's going to continue to be a, a thorn in the side of the Democratic Party. And and uh, hopefully uh, Governor Abbott and everybody else involved is, is going to start getting some control over the situation down there because, obviously, Biden and Kamala Harris cannot. Lastly, 
How would it go over if Mayor Adams of New York came down with some other New Yorkers and knocked on doors in Texas and told them how to vote? That's what he's threatening to do. Would that be effective? I don't think so. Texans historically like to hear from Texans. Texans (laughs) historically don't care a whole lot about what New York politicians think since they know so little about our state. So uh, they can certainly uh, plan to do things like that, but I cannot imagine that it would have any effect. (laughs) You're being very generous, magnanimous in that statement. (laughs) Uh, Talmadge Boston, uh, it's a great column. Thanks so much for putting it in perspective. I appreciate it. Okay, Brian, great to be on your show. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. When we come back, uh, we'll have more to talk about with you on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So John Fetterman is back on the campaign trail, and everyone just lauding him, the guy with the hoodie, the big guy, so lovable and likable. He happens to be a left-wing zealot like Bernie Sanders, doesn't seem to fly in Pennsylvania. Then he had a stroke right before winning the primary. We haven't seen anything of him, just people tweeting on his behalf, it seems. Then he went back to the stump. He's competing against Dr. Oz, who can't get a break from the press for some weird reason. Listen to Fetterman. Tell me if you think he's okay. We could have picked any part of Pennsylvania where we're going to start the campaign trail starting. Let me tell you, two years ago, I was talking to the, the media and saying them folks, you want to know who's going to be the next president? Do you know what I said? I said, tell me one thing. Tell me who wins, Pe- is it, who wins Erie? 25 of those counties, more votes. 25 of those, 50, uh, those 54 red counties, more votes. More votes than Dr. Oz in those counties as well, too. I gave away the lieutenant governor governor in Pennsylvania, the only lieutenant governor in the history to do that. And you can count on us Terrible. to eliminate the filibuster. <laughs> eliminate the filibuster. And let, let's get some stuff done for America. Right. Great idea, especially when the Republicans have as good a shot at taking the Senate as the Democrats. And by the way, you're probably going to lose the House. Ninety nine percent chance. Uh, and he sounds terrible. I mean, how bad is that? You're being critical of Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz is doing like seven, eight appearances a day in Pennsylvania. Does a national thing with us on Saturday. He's, he knows his issues. He knows his stuff. You might not like his show or like him or you might have liked Dave McCormick. That's up to you. But you can't tell me that Fetterman, the Democrats feel good about Fetterman. He looked extremely shaky. I watched him. I didn't listen to the whole speech, but this was on Sean Hannity last night, and you could just see that the guy's still struggling. You know, I wish him the best, but, I mean, if you're going to be center, you've got to be healthy. Don't we agree on that? And if you're not healthy, don't hide it. We saw what happened with Joe Biden staying in his basement. I look for him to do very few appearances and just try to win it by vilifying Dr. Oz through printed material and big-time uh, big ads. So, and right now, people appointed Dr. Oz, who they say is trailing by double digits, I doubt it. And Herschel Walker is now within the margin of error, moving up again. Raphael Warnock says we're in a dead heat with Herschel Walker. Why? Because Herschel Walker is not listening. The people that are going to vote for Herschel Walker are not reading the New York Times and the Washington Post, and they're not watching CNN. They're making up their own mind in Georgia. 
And they know that he's done an incredible amount with law enforcement, a ton with the military. They know he's extremely religious. They know he's a, uh, uh, from extremely poor background, from a very black community. There's no way he's detached from the black community. And they know he's a fantastic hero for the University of Georgia, let alone what he did in high school. So they're not buying anything. And, that, and you shouldn't buy that Dr. Oz doesn't know his stuff and is not worthy of Pennsylvania. He grew up there. And Fetterman... You are voting in Pennsylvania. We have a lot of Pennsylvania stations. Just know, you're voting for Bernie Sanders. If that's okay with you, that's a totally different Pennsylvania than I thought there was, that Donald Trump almost won last time and did win in 2016. Hey, go to BrianKillMe.com. September 8th, I'll be at the Egg in Albany. On stage, a big red, white, and blue night. It'll be a chance for me to meet you. And don't forget about, we'll be in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, November 13th. And Brandon, Mississippi, November 12th. Just go to BrianKilmead.com, order tickets. There's a few tickets left in Albany. Don't be last. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.